Okay, good to be uh, sharing God's word with you again. Good, good morning so far. Special welcome to our visitors. If you're here for the first time or you're here for the second time, we still love you. The same. I'll get you to turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8, and we'll go through that passage that I read this morning for the Lord's table. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Reminds me of those uh, things the teachers used to tell us as we were growing up, that they loved us all the same. I knew that was a lie. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit." For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you once again for this time. We just thank you for your precious word that you've preserved for us, that you've given to us. And we just thank you that we can look into its precepts, its laws, its principles, Lord, that we might grow through them and we might grow more into the image of your son we pray this morning as we seek to learn from your word that you would grant us the grace that we need to live it that you will give and the first thing i want us to understand is that every person has a conscience that every person is born with a conscience and so romans chapter 2 verse 14 says for when the gentiles and the gentiles is everyone outside of the jews okay and the jews had the law of god They had received the laws of God in all of their detail and all of those ceremonial and moral laws and all the different things they had. But the Gentiles didn't receive the law of God. They They weren't not in that relationship with God. They didn't have that particular agreement with God. And so it says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So having a conscience is something that everyone has. The Jew had a conscience and the Gentile had a conscience. We, everyone has a conscience. That, that covers everyone. Jew and Gentile covers every person on the actual planet. And it says that even if you didn't have the law, you still had a conscience which actually witnessed against you when you broke it or told you, yes, that's a good thing. And the working of the, of the conscience begins at a young age. When kids start to, when they start doing wrong things, they start to realize, oh, I've done something wrong and they feel bad about it. Okay. It's from a young age that we become aware of this thing called good and evil. Conscience then, by its definition, is the faculty, by or, or, or the, the mechanism, whereby we are at once conscious of our thoughts, words and actions, whether they deserve merit or whether they deserve demerit, whether they are good or whether they are bad, whether they deserve praise, or whether they are condemned as a fault. The conscience is our feedback mechanism. It feeds back to us what we've done, whether it's actually above the line or below the line. And the English word we get this word conscience from is made up of two Latin words, con and science. Con means with, science means knowledge. So the word conscience literally means with knowledge. And you might ask, well, what knowledge are you talking about? Is it knowledge about, you know, the football or the knowledge about... No, no, it's knowledge of good and evil. Okay? So conscience is 
the knowledge literally of good and evil. So conscience becomes the accusing finger that points to us and we've done something wrong or the excusing witness that says that was a good thing that you actually did. And it creates within us an emotional response. And we can literally hear it. You'll tell yourself that was bad or that was good. And if you're contemplating doing something, it's a good idea to listen to your conscience before you go ahead and do it. So the question I posed last time was, where did it actually come from? And I went right back to the beginning where God created Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that he created them in innocence. He, he created them like, literally like children who did not know good and evil at all. Remember, they were running around naked. They didn't care. It was all good to them. And God did not give them any other law other than don't eat from that tree to follow. They weren't ashamed in front of God. They weren't hiding from God. There was nothing for them to be um, uh, scared of God about. They were in a perfect relationship with God. God gave them just one law. And the devil came along and said, now, you know what? You're not going to die if you eat from that tree. Because God knows the time you eat from that tree, you are going to know good and evil. And you are going to be like God because God knows about good and evil. And he doesn't want you to be like him. And so the devil, as he normally does, gives you half the story without the other half. He'll tell you what's true, but he'll mix it, he'll leave out the consequences. He'll leave out the other part of the story, which then will make you pay for what you've done. And this is what he, exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. He said to them, now you're going to know good and evil if you have that, that fruit over there, which was true. Because the Bible tells us the moment they ate from that fruit, it says the eyes were opened and they knew good and evil. They didn't lie, but he, he lied about them dying. Because the moment they ate from that fruit, they were cut off from God. Immediately they became ashamed. Immediately they began to hide themselves from God. Immediately they thought to themselves, I'm naked. It changed them forever from that point. And forever from that point, mankind has had a conscience which accuses them of what they've done. So where did your conscience come from? Well, we weren't created with a conscience. We ate it, literally. And we've been stuck with it ever since. And ever since, we've been condemned by our own conscience when it comes to sin. You'll notice in that passage in Romans, it says in the day, in verse 16, when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You see, there are many things that you and I have which only we know. Other people don't know. Doesn't matter how close they are, they don't know. They don't know all the thoughts that run through our heads. They don't know all the things that we've thought about, the things that we've, we've conspired to do, whether we've done them or not. The only one that does definitely know all the things that we've done is God and our conscience. And there is going to come a day, the Bible says, when every man must give an account of himself before God, and the, one, and the witness that is going to point the finger at us at that particular time will be our own conscience. Except for the ones whose sins have been fully paid for by the blood of Christ. Every person in history since Adam and Eve have a conscience which literally means a knowledge of good and evil and, it, and every person will stand condemned by their own conscience because they broke it at one time or another. The law that was written in their hearts will condemn them. And they will not be able to say, ah, because it will be them witnessing against themselves. I 
On that day, the internal witness won't be able to be covered up. It'll speak up. You know, you know the, uh, one of the things that when, you, when you're in a court of law and they call witnesses, you know, to the front to say and testify and say what they saw on that particular day. Well, there's a particular tactic that some criminals try to use and it's called the intimidation to, to intimidate the witness to stop them from saying what they really know. So they, they, if you're in some sort of a mafia situation, they'll try and intimidate the family or intimidate them not to say anything at the witness stand because if they do, they might get in trouble. So they'll intimidate them. And you know what, what every person does? They intimidate their own conscience. They beat it into submission. They suppress it. They ignore it. But on that day... When there is no more intimidation or cover-up, when the, when the actual conscience can freely confess without intimidation exactly what was going on, it's going to reveal every secret that people thought they were keeping just to themselves that no one else knew about, and it's all going to come out. Whatever they tried to do to suppress it will no longer work. And we looked at this thing about guilt. And the, the bottom line here is that every person, everyone you talk in the streets and share the gospel with has a guilty conscience. Every one of them, bar none. Everyone knows deep down inside that they've broken the law. They've broken their own internal law, okay, that God has already, they actually have there as a result of the conscience. But they suppress it. And so when we looked at Hebrews 9.14, we looked at baptism also as an answer to God of a, of a clear conscience. Okay, But we looked at, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 9.14, there is one thing that can clear your conscience. There is one thing and one thing alone that can purge your conscience from all the bad stuff that it's kept record of because there's only one way to have that thing annulled, to have all those things annulled, and that is by the blood of Christ, the Bible says. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see... Everyone who does good things in this world, you know, people who try and do good for other people, almost all the time are trying to cover up a guilty conscience. Deep down, they know they're guilty. And so what a lot of people try to do is they try to make up for that guilt. They try to make up for a thing to make themselves feel better about themselves. Because when you do something good, do you not feel good? Of course you do. But it's a way of actually covering up the bad that I feel as well. A guilty conscience will cause people to try to redeem themselves by doing things that are good. And so in their minds, and this is what religion does, this is how why we have all these religions all singing the same tune, all right? They're all singing the same tune, that if you do more good than bad, you're what? You'll be okay. As long as at the end of your life, the balance goes a little bit more on the good side than the bad side, then you're going to get through, which is an absolute lie. Where do they get that from? They get that from their own conscience. Because in their mind, if in their mind, their justification before God to get into heaven is if I do more good than bad. But someone who is guilty of murder cannot get out of murder by giving more money away. The Apostle Paul says, you know, if you, you can give your body to be burned. And if you have not love, it profits you nothing. So the majority of people in this world are playing this game of the balancing act. That they just might do enough good to balance out the bad stuff. But here it says that, that the blood of Christ will purge your conscience from dead works. Dead works. In other words, works that aren't going to get you anywhere. You know why? Because all those works that they think that they're doing to get them closer to God and to get them over the line, the Bible calls filthy rags. 
It says they are of no worth, they are of no use, and they will not get you closer to God, not one iota. Why? Because if you're guilty of sin, you are a criminal. And as much as you think you're trying to do good to make up for that stuff you did that was bad, you still have to pay the price. And the price is eternal damnation. You cannot make up for your bad by doing supposed good things. The only solution that God provides is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me is because only by his death can your conscience, guilty conscience be purged of its sin, its guilt, and also the foolishness of trying to earn your way into heaven because he completed all the works. And so beware of those who tell you and teach you that you need Christ plus something else. You need Christ, his, his crucifixion on the cross, the, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the blood that he shed. That's not enough for you. That'll just get you started. But now from now on, you have to make your own way to heaven and that you have to do good works. Good works doesn't come from the fear of going to hell. Our good works should come as a result of our love for him. Good works do not make up for the bad stuff you've done. Good works are the minimum. Okay, The Bible says that we are to give our lives as a living sacrifice, which is what? Our reasonable service to God. Reasonable. Not unreasonable. To give your entire life to serve God. And that's why this thing says here, to purge your conscience from dead works. To do what? To serve the living God. You can't serve a living God with dead works. But you can love a living God who has given you life because you now live. It's only the blood of Christ that makes us acceptable to God. Not out of guilt are we called to serve him, but out of love. And that is the other equation that separates true Christianity from every other false religion in the world. Every other false religion does it out of guilt, does it out of shame, does it out of seeking to actually earn merit before God. And so we looked at this, we also looked at this picture of when we share the gospel with people, when we preach the gospel, and who, what are we appealing to? Well, we are appealing to their conscience. We're appealing to their guilty conscience because we know they've got a guilty conscience. Why? Because we had a guilty conscience and the Bible says that everyone has a guilty conscience. And so when we share the gospel, we are speaking to their heart. We are speaking to that conscience within them that will agree with us. When we say you're guilty before God, you know you're guilty before God. Don't try to cover it up. You can, fool, you can try to fool other people around you but you can't fool God and you can't fool yourself because you know you're guilty and there's a price to pay for that. And then we offer to them the solution, which is the salvation through Jesus Christ, which comes as a gift, which means I can't do anything. There's nothing that I can earn or I can do to earn my way to heaven. And so turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. So this is what we are called to do as believers. To them that are outside of us, to them who are outside of the walls of this church, who are not at church on a Sunday morning, who don't have a relationship with God and who are headed for an eternity in a very dark and dismal place, which will be full of suffering because it will be forever separated from the love of God. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we faint not. We don't give up. Okay, We don't give up. 
but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's what we are called to do. We're commending ourselves. We are manifesting the truth with our words, with our life, with our decisions, with our actions. And we are commending ourselves and we're saying, look at what I'm, listen to what I'm saying. Look at what I'm doing. This is what happened to me. This is my testimony of how God saved me. We're commending ourselves to their conscience in the sight of God, reminding them that there is a God who will judge them. And so the conscience plays an enormous role in this whole caper. Because that's what we're appealing to. When the Spirit, the Bible says, convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment, it's actually hitting them at their conscience. He's aiming at their conscience. But there are limitations to the conscience. And this is what we need to understand as we seek to speak to people and share what we have in Christ Jesus. And first of all, the conscience is only a guide. Okay, It's only a guide to tell you if something's good or bad, something's right or wrong. It cannot tell you if you have a plethora of decisions in front of you to make. It can't tell you the best option. Okay, There are plenty of situations in life where you're going to come up in a situation where it's not just one or the other. It's going to be a number of different things, and you're going to have to make a decision about where you go. The conscious won't do that for you. It won't give you the knowledge to be able to do that. It'll just tell you whether something's wrong or right, whether something's good or whether something's bad. It doesn't lead you on the right path where God wants you. It can only tell you if you're breaking the law. Secondly, the conscience has no ability to empower you to keep the law. It has no ability. It can say, oh, that's maybe a wrong thing to do there. But it can't actually give you the power to do it. You know what the problem is? We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the ability to be able to overcome sin on a regular basis. We are born with a fallen nature. And that fallen nature has a propensity to go towards sin all the time. It loves it. It enjoys it. And so when you enjoy something, when someone says to you, oh, you shouldn't do that, that's wrong. The average person can't resist that. You might know that it's wrong. It's like the Apostle Paul says, the thing that I know is wrong, that I do. The thing that I know is right, that I don't do. What's going on here? And it's the fact that we all have a fallen nature. And so the conscience has the ability to tell you something, might have the ability to tell you something's wrong and to warn you, but it has zero power to give you the grace that you need to overcome it it's weak as a voice it has no ability to grant you what you need to overcome the wrong thing the conscience offers you no grace it can only give you thumbs up or thumbs down and thirdly the conscience can be manipulated and this is the, 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 probably the worst part of this thing. It's not fixed. It starts off one way, but then you can manipulate it to make it do something else. Because it's, and the Bible tells us that the conscience can be manipulated. It can be weak. It can be seared. It can be defiled. And even, you can even have an evil conscience. This is the limitation of trying to live by the conscience, which is what all the world's religions try to do. All of them. They all do the same thing. They're trying to get you to appeal to your conscience. Yeah, but they know that there's right and wrong. And so what they're doing is they're saying, listen to your conscience. Your conscience will tell you this. But the conscience has no power to overcome anything. And the, 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 the conscience has no power to forgive you for anything. It can't purge you of those things. And the conscience can be overcome by human reasoning. Do you remember what's wicked above all things? What's wicked above all things? The human heart. Wicked above all things is the human heart. That which is inside you, 
that which is inside me is wicked above all things. Wicked to the point where it actually justifies every wrong thing that it wants to do. Uh, the, to use the vernacular, it's shifty. Okay? Very shifty. Okay? And you shouldn't trust it. So when the, when the singers of this world sing songs that say, follow your heart, it's like saying, I'm going to put my trust in the shiftiest used car salesman <laughs> that I can find. Who wants to sell me a car that's worth $20,000 for $2,000 and it's a bargain price. And then I drive out with no engine. <laughs> that's what you're putting your trust in when you say, I will follow my heart. And that's what the world says. Follow your heart because your heart will lead you. And that's what we have in our culture today. People following their heart. And it's leading them to the most terrible places. And we have people now telling their children, just follow your heart. And it should never be questioned. And it's a terrible thing that we're seeing happening around us. The heart is wicked above all things. So when the human heart faces the accusing finger of the conscience that says you've done something wrong, how do you feel when someone tells you you've done something wrong? Do you automatically say, of course I did? <laughs> now, the first thing you're going to do is, really? No, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think I was justified in doing that. You see, that's the flesh. The flesh always wants to be justified. The flesh will always come up with a reason. So when the conscience comes up and says, hey, you, you, you did something wrong. The heart, which is deceptive, will immediately try to say, be quiet, you. You're wrong. And it silences it. The reason is, is that no God likes to be told that they're wrong. And the flesh wants to be God. You see, when, when, when the devil said that, you know, when you eat of the fruit, you're going to know good and evil, you're going to be like God. That's what we swallowed. Hook, line, and sinker. So when we fell, our flesh wants to be God. Why? Because we don't want God over us. The flesh does not want to be governed by another God. It has to be God. It has to be sitting in the middle. It has to be at the center of my attention and the world's attention. And so when the conscience is making noise in the background... The fallen nature says, you be quiet. And so the average person spends much of his or her life dealing with their conscience, trying to keep it quiet. Look at those pesky dogs that keep on barking. And they do things, they put collars on them that zap them whenever they, um, whenever they bark or they have to lock them up and do stuff like that. That's what people do with their conscience, their whole lives. They're trying to keep it quiet. And they've got all these techniques that they use to keep their conscience quiet. So when you sin the first time, you hurt your conscience. And your conscience condemns you for it. And the person then has a choice. What do I do? Do I accept the verdict of this witness against me? Do I repent and say, yes, I've made a mistake. I better not do it again. Or do I then justify that thing and say, no, no, that's not too bad. And then I go and continue with that. And then I keep hammering the conscience on its head until it doesn't speak anymore about that thing. This is what the majority of people do. In most cases, the person, because they love to do the sin, will find a justification for it and will try to keep and suppress their conscience from saying anything. And in, in, in banging your, your conscience over the head with a, a mallet, it makes it less and less and less able to do its job. This is because they've rejected God. And they have no way of coming to him for forgiveness and cleansing. 
They can't avail themselves of the blood of Christ. They don't understand the price that was paid for them. They haven't received the love of God and appreciate what that is. And they have not been sealed with the Holy Ghost and received the grace of God. So they have to deal with their own conscience in their own way. And in almost every case, they will justify their sin to themselves. Ever heard these words coming from within yourself? When you knew you did something wrong? It was time someone showed them. She deserved it. He deserved it. Um, it's okay if I just put something wrong on my tax return. The government wastes all my money anyway. They're making millions of dollars. They, don't, they won't notice that. Doesn't matter if I leave early from work and cheat on my time on my timesheet. My boss is rich. I'm not gossiping. I'm warning people about that person over there. <laughs> I can gossip about that person because really they're they're really bad. They're no good. They're dangerous. That person doesn't have, deserve to have those things. I deserve to have them. So what if I looked? Didn't hurt anyone? I'm not as bad as that person over there. I don't hate them. I just want to see them fall flat on their face every now and then. <laughs> Tell me, tell me that you haven't had any of those things go through your head. I could have, I could have actually written pages and pages, right? <laughs> Only through my own experience, from what pops into my head over the years. But I want you to understand that that's only just a taste. Every one of those is a sin. Every one of them. Gossip is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Lying is a sin. It's all sin. And God doesn't treat sin lightly. Because we're breaking his eternal commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. So after all the excuses we feed ourselves, the next time we go to we have the option of doing something right or wrong, once you've excused it, do you think it's easier to do that thing again? Or just the same? It becomes easier. And so the person's consciousness becomes more and more blunt becomes more and more easy to sin. And before long, they've now got themselves into what we call a habit, what we call iniquity. Okay, So you can go from committing a sin to iniquity when you actually start making it a habit in your life. And so there are people who are then, the Bible says, um, in bondage to that. And, you, and it's very difficult to stop it. And so it then becomes almost useless, the conscience, as a warning mechanism for, for that person. And it doesn't stop, and they, they don't stop from going deeper and deeper and deeper into that sin. And deeper and deeper they will inevitably go. The problem with the voice of our conscience is that we live in a world and inhabit bodies infected by sin. We see justification for sin everywhere around us. We hear it everywhere around us. Regardless of what it is, everyone is making excuses for sin out there. Most people don't even recognize a sin in the first place. We see justification for sin everywhere around us and we imitate it. That's the temptation for us. We see sin being enjoyed in the world. And our flesh cries out and says that it wants enjoyment too. And we see sin not just enjoyed in the world, but even celebrated in the world. People worship it. They rejoice in it. They celebrate it. And I think you understand what I'm talking about. So we might compare our, our conscience to an alarm clock. Who's got a good alarm clock here in one piece? Everyone uses their phones these days, don't they, right? Remember those alarm clocks you used to have with the beep, 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 beep in the morning? And you'd be... You'd be going with the with the. I never could find the other snooze button. 
Never lasted long, my alarm clocks. Um, so you can, you can put it on snooze, and then you can change it, you can blunt it, you can turn it off. And this is what people do with their own consciences, so they don't disturb us anymore. As we get older, we become more shifty. Okay, children struggle with this, but as you get older, you become more adept at being able to weasel your way out of things and making excuses for things and rationalising our attitudes and our behaviours. There's a fellow called Harris who made this uh, statement. He says, once we assuage our conscience by calling something a necessary evil, yeah, those necessary things you've got to do, okay, you can't stop them doing it. Once we assuage our conscience by calling something a necessary evil, it begins to look more and more necessary and less and less evil. So the conscience can be manipulated. It can be suppressed. It can be quietened. Okay? And once it's at that stage, the Bible says it's defiled. So turn to Titus chapter 1, verse 15 with me. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Titus 1.15 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Okay, reprobate work? means work that is useless, um, filthy rags, okay? To be defiled means to be stained, to take somewhere and stain it. It's no longer pure. It's no longer clean. It's corrupted and corrupted with sin. In this case, Paul speaks of the unbeliever as having a defiled conscience and mind. They may even profess that they know God, that they believe in God, but he says that their very acts deny him. So a defiled conscience is universal. At a time shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Okay. Now, why is he talking about that? What does having a seared conscience have to do with not marrying and not eating meats? Well, a seared conscience is one that is beyond feeling. If I were to cauterize, burn your arm with a hot iron, you won't be feeling very much after it heals up, okay? Because your, your nerve endings have been cooked, all right? So it's beyond feeling. It's sealed. In, in other words, it can't actually do its job properly. And that means that that type of conscience is one that's not even aware of its own hypocrisy anymore. It can't feed back anymore. It's burned so bad that it can't function at all. And so in this particular case, it's speaking about people who have authority over other people about what they can and can't do. So people are going to have their conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they're not even going to be aware of their own hypocrisy. You know, there was a particular group that Jesus dealt with a fair bit in the New Testament that were probably very similar to this called the Pharisees. And he warned his disciples about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the yeast of the Pharisees. They were filled with hypocrisy. In other words, they tell you one thing, but they were doing something that was even worse than that. And so Jesus warns that in the you shouldn't get married. It's wrong to get married and you shouldn't be eating meat. 
Who's saying not getting married and don't eat meat? I don't know. Um, we'll leave that one to, to God, okay? But the point of the matter is that these people are telling other people, don't do these things. In other words, they become the arbiters of good and bad or good and evil, and they're the ones who are commanding people, even though their own conscience is seared with a hot iron. It doesn't work, which means they're not even seeing their own hypocrisy anymore. And so for what purpose are they doing that? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So let's just stop right there. An evil conscience is one that is defiled. Okay, It's the same thing. It's no longer pure. It's now evil, which means it's actually now spitting out the wrong information. It's like corrupting a computer program that's meant to be putting out a certain type of, of uh, result. Instead, the program gets corrupted and it's now spitting out the opposite result. Okay, And that's where most people find themselves in this world. And if you think that this is a person who is beyond salvation, no, that's not. This is a person, because Nosha says, having our, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So what did we have before we were saved? We had this. We had an evil conscience. And the, and the grace of God and the blood of Christ can save you from that evil conscience, even if it is saying that good is bad and bad is good. In fact, Isaiah um, 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That was true of all of us before we were saved. And God revealed the hypocrisy within us. And God showed us what was the light, what is good. And we realized that we were deceiving ourselves. You see, the challenge that we have with our conscience and the world has with its conscience is that it can make a person feel good when they perform a good deed. It also is a cause why unsaved do good in our world. Do unsaved people do good things? Yeah, they do. And if you were to deny that, you deny the obvious truth, that they love their families, they do good for their, you know, for other people, they, they might give money, whatever it is. Now, do those things have eternal value? No, they don't, because they can't make up for the sin that they've committed. But do unsaved people do good things? Yes, they do. And it's their conscience that, that actually drives them for that. It tells them, yeah, it's good. It makes you feel, it makes you feel good when you do something good. But they have no foundation. And the good that they think that they're doing for God has no eternal value, but is filthy rags before him. But in the case of an evil conscience, the conscience can get to the point where it actually switches, where it actually is a beginning to applaud sin and saying, look what a good thing you're doing there, brother. You know, you're, you're fighting for, the, for, for this person, for this wonderful cause. And in fact, you're fighting for a cause that's opposite to what God says is good. And so an evil conscience can actually call good evil and evil good. An evil conscience can make people feel justified in their own eyes by the small things that they do that seem good. It's like a mafia boss. I always keep on going back to the mafia, I don't know why. <laughs> what was that? You realise people have died for less, brother. <laughs> yeah, if you look at if you look at mafia mafia bosses and the lives of mafia bosses, okay, they do the most horrendous things. They they they, they kill people, they slaughter people, they um they intimidate people, they sell drugs and prostitution, they destroy people's lives, okay? Um yet they love their families. And they'll protect their families and they'll, they'll nourish their families and they'll try to keep their families outside of that particular business that they're in. And you might think, why are they protecting their families from all that? Because you've got them, you know, you've, you've dug a hole and you've thrown them all in there as well with you. It's like the mafia boss who does all the evil stuff, but then in his own eyes thinks, but I'm a good person. You see what I mean? But that's not just true for mafia bosses, that's true for every person in the world. How do people live with themselves? 
knowing what they think and what they do and what they've done, it's the same way. They applaud themselves for the apparent good things they are and they remind themselves they're not as bad as other people. He gave it to his people, the Jews. It's not something that could be changed. It's not something that could be manipulated. Well, I suppose they could manipulate it even by shifty manoeuvres, but it couldn't change. So the law that was within us, we could change easily, but it's hard, much harder to change a written law, doesn't it? If the Bible says, thou shalt not lie, you might try and justify it to yourself, but it says always, thou shalt not lie. It doesn't change. Whereas if you're relying only on your conscience, that can change. You can even justify lying. I mean, there are religions that justify lying. Let's say lying is a good thing to do if you're doing it for the right reason. So God introduced a written law for that. But the, writ the written law, as in the, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that God gave to Moses, also has a shortcoming in that it doesn't have the power to help you overcome law-breaking too. It's useless too from that respect. It can only point the finger at you and show you that you're a law-breaker. Even the written law can be rejected and doesn't have the power to reform a person like the conscience. And so from that perspective, the conscience and the law don't have the power to save you. The conscience and the law don't have the power to change you. The conscience and the law condemn you, which is why we need to be saved, which is why God sent his son into the world to rescue sinners such as us. There is not a single human being alive who does not need to be saved. There is not one conscience that is clear. There is not one person who is innocent. But all need salvation. Which brings us to when you are saved and the difference. And that is that God puts his Holy Spirit inside you. You've got the law, which is working from the outside. You've got your conscience working on the inside. Those are useless. But you know who isn't useless? God. When God chooses to take up residence in a person, he makes all the difference. Because the Holy Spirit can't be seared. He can't be silenced. He can't be corrupted and defiled and become evil. He is the one who even through whom we receive the grace of Christ to be able to overcome those things. This is where we're going back to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, as we close up. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This is why I read this passage to you this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. When a person is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, when the person is saved and born again, and the only reason that the Holy Ghost, that God himself can inhabit you today, if he does, is because the blood of Christ has cleansed you of every sin. He's cleaned house and he's made the house habitable for God himself. You see, God cannot live within a dirty vessel. He cannot live in a, a destroyed house. And so the blood of Christ cleans you of all sin and makes you a suitable home for God himself. And when God takes up residence in you, you cannot be the same ever since. 
He seals you from that day. He equips you from that day. And through his word, he speaks to your conscience. Because that conscience that was seared and evil and defiled, God can make clean in a moment. And you can look at God and say, I'm clean. I'm acceptable to you. I don't have to work for it. It's out, Abba Father. An unsaved person cannot cry out, Abba Father. They don't know God as their father. And the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit once he's in us, teaches us God's things. He, op- he opens up our eyes to God's truths. He helps us to grow. He enables us and he gives us the grace of Christ to be able to live and fulfill the law, regardless of whether it was written, regardless of whatever, whatever type of law it is, it helps us to fulfill the law that pleases God. And we can walk in ways that please God. Our conscience couldn't save us. The law couldn't save us, but Christ could because he took our form. He took on our place. He took our sin upon himself and he took our place on the cross and he shed his blood for us. So, if you are here this morning and you are saved and you know that you're saved, then walk in the Spirit. Listen out for his still, small voice. He's always there. The Bible says he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will seal you until the day of redemption and listen out for him, what he has to say, because he will speak to you and he will speak to you most clearly through his word. So stay in the word, stay with your ears open. And if you don't know Christ this morning, if, you don't, if you're there trying to earn your way to heaven, if you think that my, my conscience is clear, your conscience cannot be clear according to the scripture. You know you're guilty before God and you need to be cleared of that sin. You need to have that sin paid for. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay for it yourself. So this morning, my invitation to everyone who doesn't know that they're saved for sure is to make sure. Make today the day that your conscience is purged, that you have a new start before God and that you were sealed by the Spirit of God who will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'll I'll close with Paul's words to Philemon. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God bless you. Thank you.